I have to say that was, a, that was a new song for me, so I'm glad of the little squiggle at the end there to know when to, to come up uh, to join you. Uh, it's great to be here with you this evening once again. Thanks to all those that have played a part in, in the service so far this evening. Uh, and I just bring with me warmest greetings from the folk at, at, at Homegate. It's great to have such a strong bond between uh, the two churches, so greetings from them. Let's just bow our heads in prayer now before we dive into our passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word uh, this evening. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless the time that we have together. Help us as we consider this subject of temptation and how we can look at uh, the example of your son. Lord, please open the hearts and the minds of those listening tonight. And equip me with the right words to say, Lord. I pray that all I do say will be honouring to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So when, when I was a boy, uh, I had a favourite treat. And it was my mum's chocolate cake. Uh, I love chocolate cake. And there was once some left over at the end of the day. I went to bed. I went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, I woke up. And guess what my first thought was? Yes, it was chocolate cake. So as my thoughts began to race, I wondered if I could get downstairs just to kind of uh, have a look. You know, because there's no harm in having a little look, is there? Surely nobody would know. So I, I got out of my bed, and I went along the landing. Now, if you're online, this is not going to work, because you're not going to see me. And I went all the way along to the kitchen, and there in the cupboard was this chocolate cake. This seemed a really good idea in the beginning of the week. Uh, so I took it out of the box, and there it was, just kind of shining at me. But I've just had a look, and there, that's all I'm going to do. I'll just leave it on that table for now. But actually, there, there's just one lonely little crumb just kind of by the side. I, I guess I could just, just taste one little bit. Could I, could I not? Well, maybe. Oh, ho, ho, ho tasted amazing sweet chocolate right there and then actually can you see from there I probably can't really see but there's some bits that look like they've they probably need straightening up so I could maybe just get a knife straighten those up have those little bits too that's exactly what I did back then chocolate heaven all over again so having it tasted it twice there was now no stopping me Temptation had won, so I cut off a slice, and I ate that, and then I ate another, and another, and then it had gone. Now, if you're a member of Walton Youth, you're going to have the cake uh, tonight. I certainly can't eat all that. But in a blink of an eye, and I'm sure it will be later, this cake was demolished. What was I going to do? So I washed the plate, I washed the knife, I cleaned the counter, I cleaned the kitchen. Mum wouldn't notice. 
in a flash, I crept back up the stairs along the corridor and I jumped into bed and there I slept soundly with my belly now full, wondering, will my mum ever know? Well, that's really, that didn't really happen because it's just my interpretation from Michael Rosen's book, Chocolate Cake. Now, it's a firm favourite, that book, of my youngest daughter, and she's partly here tonight, probably because there's a chocolate cake that came with it, and we regularly read it at bedtime. Perhaps you've been in a similar position in the past. Maybe you've been tempted to do something you shouldn't have done. You see, temptation is a very powerful influence in our lives. And I don't know how the devil tempts you, but we all face temptation on a daily basis. So as we look at our passage tonight from Luke 4, 1 to 13, we'll see how Jesus faced the devil's temptations. Not only will we see how he faced temptation, but we'll also see how he conquered it too. And our aim tonight is to use the example of Jesus to help us avoid sin in our lives. And before we look at the devil's temptations for Jesus, let's just look at those first couple of verses, verse 1 and 2, perhaps as an introduction. They read, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during these days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So what can we draw out from these opening couple of verses? Well, notice the the passage immediately before explains the genealogy of Jesus. Now, this is kind of somewhat of a detour. Because before that, we read of Jesus' baptism. And it's this passage which we return to now as we pick up the narrative again. Look at Luke 3 for a moment, verses 21 to 22. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So from the banks of the river Jordan, Jesus now heads alone into the desert. Now this Desert refers to the unhabitable land or the regions just outside of Judea. In verse 1, Luke mentions that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Now, significantly, other translations use the word wilderness instead of desert. Now, it's significant because the term wilderness draws us right back to the Old Testament. Remember how the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years? Come to think of it, isn't that number 40 pretty significant too? We've seen this before. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. The Israelites were in for 40 years. It appears as though there's kind of a pattern emerging. Can you see anything else similar? Well, there's one other thing, a third thing which Luke mentions. Luke tells us that Jesus had been fasting for those 40 days, so he was hungry. Remember how the Israelites were also hungry when in the wilderness. They moaned and they groaned, fearing God was going to allow them to starve. They grumbled to Moses about being hungry, so God provided manna for them. 
But after eating the manna, what did they then do? They then complained, saying how tired they were of having to eat all this manna. Jesus was different. He chose to eat nothing during these 40 days. He fasted intentionally. Instead of complaining about being hungry and questioning God's care, Jesus focused intently on prayer and on trusting his Father to provide for him. So there's much that we can learn from Jesus. We must follow his lead. We must follow his lead and live in the righteousness that he desires for us. So let's consider how we can do this as we look at the temptations together. The first temptation tonight, the devil tempts Jesus to question God's provision and care. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. I thought I'd make the writing really small for you to see on the screen. Sorry about that. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. So the devil's first temptation was for Jesus to question God's provision and care. After 40 days without food, Jesus would have been nearing the limit a man can survive. Now the devil's implication here is that if Jesus really is the Son of God, then he has both the power and the privilege to make food when he wants it. Now, the food is not really the important element in this temptation because food is not a sin. This temptation is about ignoring God's will in favour of doing your own thing. It was God's will that led Jesus into this fast. There was some purpose behind it. So to ignore God's will, even if the act would normally be a good thing, it's a sin. Even hardship and suffering can be part of God's will for our lives. You see, the devil is smart and his ways are subtle. He didn't tell Jesus to break a huge boulder because that would be easy. Rather, he tempted him to do things in his own timing and not to wait for God. The devil encouraged Jesus to do things himself, and to fix the problem at hand. Does that sound familiar at all? Are you ever tempted to take matters into your own hands? Are you ever tempted to do your own thing and not wait for God to provide? In our passage, Jesus was tempted to turn stones into bread, yet he refused. Jesus refused because Jesus put God's will before his own. In verse 4 there, look, Jesus cites Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 in response. It is written, man does not live on bread alone. And in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, Moses reminds Israel how God provided for them, how he provided for them during their 40 years of wandering in the desert. You see, true life requires more than just physical needs. It requires faithful obedience to God and his will. It requires trusting in God rather than seeking 
an easier path. And the devil is very good at exploiting our weaknesses. He saw that Jesus was hungry and he pounced on it. He was there in a flash. To fight against the devil, we need to wait on the Lord. We need to be aware of our weaknesses and we should expect the devil to attack them. We need to consider how we try and use our own strength to fix things. We need to instead rely on God's strength and his deliverance. We need to have God in the forefront of our thinking when making decisions. And we need to depend on him and do things his way every time. That's what Jesus did. He rejected the devil's attempts to influence him. Instead, Jesus chose to trust and obey God rather than just seek an easier path. Now, the devil could so easily have walked away at this point, but I'm sure you're aware the devil is persistent. So he tries to tempt Jesus a second time. The second temptation. The devil tempts Jesus to put himself before God. Look there at verses 5 through to 8. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it is given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So this second temptation was for Jesus to put himself before God. Now, if you're familiar with the Lion King, then you will recall that uh, Mufasa takes Simba, it's his son, up to a high place. And he shows Simba the pride lands and the extent of all his kingdom. He explains the responsibility of kingship and the circle of life. The circle of life that connects all living things together, or so the film would have you believe. Now this isn't the moment, and it's not the moment to break into song either, and neither is the devil playing the role of Mufasa. He's actually more like Scar, if you know the movie at all. In the same sort of way that Scar tricked Simba, the devil is trying to trick Jesus here. He tells Jesus that he could give him all the kingdoms of the world. It's like he stood there, arm around him, look at what you see. All this could be yours if you just worship me. If Jesus would bow down to the devil, the devil would give him the world. The devil desired to receive the worship that only God deserves. He actually is quite satisfied if anything receives the glory other 
than God. He, he endeavours to deny God the glory. And he wants to come between father and son. See, again, notice how subtle the devil is. He doesn't tell Jesus, do not worship God. He just gives Jesus an easier way. He simply says, worship me and you'll get to where you're heading quicker. Will Jesus have control of all the kingdoms of the world? Well, of course, the answer is yes. And the devil knows this and he wants to stop it. So he tries to tell Jesus that if the end goal's the same, take a shortcut. If the end goal's the same, does it matter how you reach that end goal? According to God's plan, Jesus would have to wait over 30 years. And not only would he have to wait, he'll have to suffer greatly in the process. The devil's plan was for instant gratification for Jesus. But notice this extraordinary truth. God's pattern is to start with suffering and then end in glory. Whereas the devil's pattern is to start with glory and then to end with suffering. In a world of instant everything, this is a huge problem many face in our society today, do they not? In this world, we're encouraged to get what we want now. Why wait? Well, for those that wait, for those that trust in Christ Jesus, glory is coming. And the devil knows this, which is why he initiates this temptation. He wants us to sacrifice the eternal for the temporary. He wants to undermine our walk with God by offering us these shortcuts, these spiritual shortcuts, which are really no more than dead ends. But sometimes we do have to walk the hard roads with God. We must go the distance. We must trust God in the midst of our trials. We must follow his path for us, which is what Jesus did. There was the response there in verse 8. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. As with the previous temptation, Jesus again quotes scripture and resists. Instead of taking earthly authority now, which avoids the suffering on the cross, Jesus chose to obey God and wait for all things to be given in their due time. Philippians 2 verse 8, the second half of it anyway, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even, de even death on a cross. The scripture Jesus responds to the devil with is again from Deuteronomy, from chapter 6, verse 13. And that whole chapter is based upon the command to love the Lord your God. Moses recounts these commands and lessons given to the Israelites by God. A clear feature is the command to remember and to trust. In the passage in which Jesus refers, Moses reminds Israel that it was God and God alone who rescued them from slavery in Egypt. To ignore that salvation and to pursue 
other gods would be a terrible sin. And that is the devil's temptation here. He wants Jesus to do exactly that. He wants Jesus to ignore and forget. He wants Jesus to forget about serving God and serve another master instead. The bait of the temptation is to is the lure of this easier, better life. But Jesus sees through this. He knows that this offer is a mere pointless lie. He's been promised the kingdoms of the world if he follows his father's will. He has no need to fall into the snare of the devil's temptation. But we must be careful not to be trapped by the devil. We must resist him too. We should be wary when we are promised things by others. Don't we have a saying in this world, it it almost looks too good to be true. And often or not, that's the case. It does. In this world, not everything is as it seems. God has promised us a reward an inheritance for serving him. This reward, this inheritance goes far beyond that which the devil can offer. Colossians 3, verses 23 to 24, one of my favourite verses. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. We are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and only serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus invited us to take up your cross and follow him. He didn't say, take up your cross, follow me and anyone else if you like. I I don't mind. It's a non-negotiable if you are a Christian. We follow Christ and only Christ. We need to recognise that the life of a Christian is never plain sailing. It's always going to be a bumpy ride and sometimes a painful ride too. When we face difficult and challenging times in our lives, we must persevere. We're not supposed to run from them or take matters into our own hands or grab a shortcut. We're to turn to God. We are to trust in God. God may have allowed us to face a particular challenge to make us stronger. You see, God wants to mould us. He wants to shape us. He wants to change us. In fact, he wants to transform us. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Let's look now at the final temptation we read of in our passage. The devil tempts Jesus to throw himself off the temple. Look at verses 9 through to 12 there. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In this final temptation, the devil tempts Jesus to jump off the temple. He leads him to the highest point of the temple, the highest, the very highest peak. The idea being that if Jesus really is the son of God, then God would save him. He would be true to his every word and would protect his son. And it would force God into making good on the the promises that we read in verses 10 and 11 there. Now, we don't know the exact height of the temple, but imagine it was high. Think of the crooked spire and how it can be seen, albeit bent, from far away. It'd be a great vantage point there for the devil, a place where all could see. A public place. It'd be dramatic. It'd be a crowd-pleasing expression of power. It would clearly reveal Jesus as the Christ to all of Israel and the world. Notice again how subtle the devil is. Once again, he he quotes from Scripture. Remember how the devil tricked uh, Adam and Eve back in the book of Genesis? He quoted God. But when the devil quotes God, he always twists God's words. This is something we see in false teachers today, is it not? They twist God's written word. People can make the Bible say what they want it to say all too often. God's word is the authoritative word of God. Nothing needs adding. Nothing needs changing. And the devil quotes from the Old Testament. He tries to get Jesus to test God. But the problem is, in his reference, he is taken out of context and it's misapplied. He quotes from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Taken out of context, it seems to suggest that God is obligated to protect Jesus from all physical harm, no matter what he does. As with his other tests, Jesus responds properly. Because, you know, he knows scripture better. He responds by rejecting sin, and instead, he chooses to trust in God's timing. There's his response there in verse 12. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, this time from verse 16 of chapter 6. At no point does Jesus suggest that God would abandon him. No. He simply says that it would be wrong to challenge God. We must be like Jesus. We should never challenge God either. We should never create a situation that creates the need for God to act. God's word gives us direction and guidance. Direction and guidance for every situation. Jesus knows this. He knows this well enough to consider the context. We must possess a good knowledge and understanding of God's word. The devil quotes one Bible verse out of context and he tries to use it. We must never take one verse out of context 
and try to understand it alone. If we start doing that, then we can make the Bible say anything we want. We must always study the scriptures in the context they were written. Jesus reminded, uh, or Jesus, I should say, remained faithful to his father's word. He was not prepared to skip the suffering of the cross by revealing himself as the Messiah to the entire world at the wrong time. If Jesus had decided to jump, then conjecture, I'm sure God would have spared him just as he did the stubborn Israelites. But had he done this, then God's salvation plan would need to have been altered. We can never add anything or change anything to God's word. God is in control. All sovereignty belongs to him. Jesus doesn't doubt that God would keep us safe. Rather, he trusts God the Father enough to not attempt to force his hand. So as we draw to a close this evening, what can we learn from this? Well, we must follow the example set by Jesus. We must follow his lead. So firstly, don't question God's provision and care for you. Secondly, don't put yourself above God. Make him your priority. Thirdly and lastly, don't jump off the roof of a tall building. Now, I appreciate that that's easier than the first two, but I didn't want to take it for granted. Remember that we have the same spiritual resources as Jesus. The same resources that he used when he faced and defeated evil. Just like Jesus, we have prayer. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God. And then on top of this, we have Jesus interceding for us at the right hand of God. Temptation is a weapon the devil uses to defeat us. But at the same time, temptation can become God's tool to build us up. And we need building up because temptation and the devil is never far away. Turn with me to the final verse in our passage tonight, verse 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The devil failed to succeed this time. Yet he wasn't going to give up. And as a result, we must continually remember to trust God and to lean on him. And remember that we have prayer, the Holy Spirit, God's word and Jesus interceding for us. If you stick with Jesus, you will not be defeated. Amen.